last September 30th, marked the first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation in Canada. This day was instituted by the Canadian government to honor the lost children and survivors of residential schools, their families, and their communities. The government website states that public commemoration of the tragic and painful history and ongoing impacts of residential schools is a vital component to the reconciliation process. It's true. On this day, which will be observed every year from now on, Canadians are encouraged to wear orange. This is because of Orange Shirt Day, an Indigenous-led grassroots commemorative day that honors the survivors of residential schools. The color relates to the experience of a young girl, Phyllis Webstad, who, on her first day of school, arrived dressed in a new orange shirt, which was taken from her. This is now a symbol of the stripping away of culture, freedom, and self-esteem that Indigenous children experienced at residential schools. Reconciliation for us Catholics is a sacrament. Let's continue to pray for healing and justice and for a reconciliation that is based on truth, no matter how difficult that truth is. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new season of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro, and it's so good to be here with you again. Did you have a good summer? Mine was pretty good. Very busy, but still lots of time to rest and relax and, and change the pace. Still, like most of you, I am still mostly working from home and haven't traveled anywhere outside of the province. Things in Ontario are not great, but not bad compared to other places. Still, in the last week... There were an average of six COVID-19 deaths every day. And so I continue to pray for those who have died and those who have lost loved ones. Let's pray that this is all over soon and that we're not further divided as we make it to the finish line. How are you feeling with this whole COVID thing? How do you feel about vaccine mandates? Why don't you write to me and let me know? I'd love to share some of your thoughts and stories here in our program. Just Email me, pedro at slmedia.org, or you can find me on social media. Just look for Deacon Pedro. Okay, so today we begin our program with part of a conversation that I had with Bishop William McGratton of Calgary. Canadian bishops made an apology to Indigenous people, and in particular to survivors and victims of the residential school system. And so we're going to hear the apology statement and Bishop McGratton will tell us a bit about it. That's in about five minutes. And then afterwards, Billy is going to be joining us with another question. I am not sure what the question is, but I'm sure that it will be a good one. So that's in about 20 minutes. And in our second half hour, we'll be speaking with author and evangelizing expert Patrick Sullivan about the three languages of evangelization. If you've ever struggled to share the good news with someone and you're just not getting through, you need to stay and listen to this conversation and get Patrick Sullivan's book, The Three Languages of Evangelization. Your evangelizing work will never be the same. So I'll be speaking with Patrick Sullivan in about 25 minutes. And then we end the show by speaking with singer-songwriter Michael James Meddy, who has a new album that was born out of a dark depression that he went through over the last year. Now, many people have struggled with mental illness, particularly through this pandemic. And so I hope that you can stay and listen to my conversation with Michael James Meddy. And 
listen to some of his music. That's in about 45 minutes. If you cannot stay and listen, just head on over to slmedia.org. That's where you can find the full show. You can also subscribe to the Salt and Light Hour wherever you get your podcasts. You know that already. And that way you don't have to worry about missing an episode. Okay, so let's start with a song. Here's Michael James Meddy with Glimpses of You from his new album, Exile. Michael James Meddy with Glimpses of You 
from his new album, Exile, and we're going to be speaking with Michael James Meddy about the depression that led to that album. That's in about 40 minutes, so I hope that you can stick around for that. This past September 30th was the first National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, a new statutory holiday in Canada. Um, It was created in order to honor victims and survivors of residential schools. Um, There were commemorative events all over the country, and one of these was a prayer service at St. Michael's Cathedral in Toronto, presided over by Cardinal Thomas Collins. During his homily, Cardinal Collins read a statement of apology that Canadian bishops had signed the week before. We, the Catholic bishops of Canada, gathered in plenary this week, take this opportunity to affirm to you, the Indigenous people of this land, that we acknowledge the suffering experienced in Canada's Indian residential schools. Many Catholic religious communities and dioceses participated in this system, which led to the suppression of Indigenous languages, culture, and spirituality, failing to respect the rich history, traditions, and wisdom of Indigenous peoples. We acknowledge the grave abuses that were committed by some members of our Catholic community physical, psychological, emotional, spiritual, cultural, and sexual. We also sorrowfully acknowledge the historical and ongoing trauma and the legacy of suffering and challenges faced by Indigenous peoples that continue to this day. Along with those Catholic entities which were directly involved in the operation of the schools and which which have already offered their own heartfelt apologies, we, the Catholic Bishops of Canada, express our profound remorse and apologize unequivocally. We are fully committed to the process of healing and reconciliation. Together with the many pastoral initiatives already underway in dioceses across the country, and as a further tangible expression of this ongoing commitment, we are pledging to undertake fundraising in each region of the country to support initiatives discerned locally with Indigenous partners. Furthermore, we invite the Indigenous peoples to journey with us into a new era of reconciliation, helping us in each of our dioceses across the country to prioritize initiatives of healing, to listen to the experience of Indigenous peoples, especially to the survivors of Indian residential schools, and to educate our clergy, consecrated men and women, and lay faithful on Indigenous cultures and spirituality. We commit ourselves to continue the work of providing documentation or records that will assist in the memorialization of those buried in unmarked graves. Having heard the request to engage Pope Francis in this reconciliation process, a delegation of Indigenous survivors, elders, knowledge keepers, and youth will meet with the Holy Father in Rome in December of 2021. Pope Francis will encounter and listen to the Indigenous participants so as to discern how he can support our common desire to renew relationships and walk together along the path of hope in the coming years. We pledge to work with the Holy See and our Indigenous partners on the possibility of a pastoral visit by the Pope to Canada as part of this healing journey. We commit ourselves to continue accompanying you 
the First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples of this land, standing in respect of your resiliency, strength, and wisdom, we look forward to listening to and learning from you as we walk in solidarity. After our bishops released the apology, I had the chance to speak with Bishop William McGratton of Calgary. He's the Vice President of the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops. Here is part of that conversation. Bishop McGratton, it's good to see you. Welcome. Thank you, Pedro. It's good to be with you again. Um, a statement was released at the end of the meetings last week. Tell us about that statement. Well, as you said in the opening remarks, this has been a very uh, monumental plenary. Uh, we have in the past, always each year, talked about Indigenous issues. However, this year we uh, recognize the need to uh, speak with one voice as Canadian bishops and to offer an unequivocal apology uh, for the history and for the trauma and the legacy of residential schools. And so I hope that this message uh, is received in a way that demonstrates our, our commitment as Catholic bishops uh, to continue this process of healing and reconciliation. Uh, it was a statement that was unanimously accepted, and it was one that uh, many of the bishops realized that we are committed as shepherds to, to this path of healing and uh, restoration for our, our First Nations, our Indigenous peoples. Right. Um, I mentioned that it was a statement because I think it's important to note that it wasn't just an apology, that the apology comes with some commitments to action. So tell us more about what the statement said. So in addition to that, uh, we the bishops have also identified and committed ourselves to renewed fundraising initiatives that will be uh, taken uh, in the regions of Canada, uh, local initiatives, working with our Indigenous communities to identify priorities. Mm -hmm. So this was important. We saw that healing and reconciliation needs to begin at the grassroots uh, in the local uh, experiences. Uh, here being in the West and also in other parts of Canada, this, this legacy has been there. So that was the first commitment. Um, mm -hmm. The second was uh, a renewed understanding that education, uh, mm -hmm. a deepening understanding and, and consciousness to the effects that this has had. Uh, the ongoing, the historical effects, and even for our own Catholic people, that yes. our knowledge of this particular reality in our history is something that we have to be committed to understand and to, through a sense of truth, then begin to understand why these steps of healing and reconciliation are important. Mm -hmm. um, the third one is, I think, really uh, pertinent to what happened with the discovery of the unmarked graves. Um, many of the dioceses have records, sacramental records, parish mm -hmm. records that can be made available and can help communities to uh, identify loved ones and uh, be part of that process of a memorialization. Uh, so these are, are further kind of concrete commitments that these are actions that we have committed ourselves in and mm -hmm. through this apology, and they will continue. They're not an easy fix. No but they also have to be seen as the beginnings of these steps of, of reconciliation. But they're also not a, a, a reaction to what has been happening in the church this year. I mean, is it fair to say that a lot of these even commitments, uh, actions have been, have been happening for the last, I'd say six, 10 years or more, um, and it's not a new thing? 
Is that fair to say? It is fair. It's a fair statement. Um, we have, as a church, recognized our role and participation in this uh, residential school system. Uh, yet, most recently in the last three or four years, as the um, Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, report came out, we as bishops have been actively involved in, in listening circles, yes. trying to uh, understand this with our First Nations, Indigenous communities and leaders. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, these are the steps that led to the preparation of the delegation to right. go to Rome and to allow those who uh, are from these communities to engage with the Holy Father and for him to listen firsthand and to understand this pain and suffering. And we know that the Holy Father is open. Uh, we, we know that his heart is very committed to reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a delegation that will be traveling to Rome in December. Uh, can you give us any details about what we know at this point about what that will look like? Well, it's made up first of uh, the First Nations, uh, also the Métis and, and the Inuit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's about 28 delegates uh, comprising of those three groupings of uh, Indigenous peoples. Mm-hmm. along with uh, myself and now the president, um, Monsignor Poisson, and other bishops who have been intimately involved in these listening circles. So it's a three-day delegation, and our Holy Father has set aside three distinct times to meet with each group individually wow. and to understand their particular circumstances, and then to meet with them at the end of the three-day delegation as a, as a total group. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that uh, this time with the Holy Father, also with some of the dicasteries that will help uh, us in our work with them, uh, will be fruitful. And so, yes, again, it's a, it's a step of our desire and our commitment for, for healing. That was part of a conversation I had with Bishop William McGratton of Calgary. To listen to the full interview, go to slmedia.org and to find out more resources about truth and reconciliation and the work that our bishops have been doing for many, many, many years now, go to their website, cccb.ca. Hi, this is Dave Moore, and you are listening to the Salt and Light Hour with the most amazing Deacon Pedro, so stay tuned. Salt and Light Television is now available through a Roku and Amazon Fire app. Go to slmedia.org slash slplus in order to subscribe and to have access to our live stream and all our programs. And now it's time for... Church for Dummies! With Billy Chan. Billy, it's good to see you. I hope you had a good summer. I had a really good summer. I, it's so good to hear from your energetic voice. I mean, oh, good. Know. Yes, we're all energetic really? here. New season uh, of, to the Salt and Light Hour. And uh, you, you kept me in, in, in uh, suspense all this time. I, I, I didn't know what the question was. So you have a question today. <laughs> yes, I always want to give it a secret. And I always pray. To be honest, I always pray before I ask a question. I want to benefit to everyone in the world, you know. So... Um, that's why I have this question. The question is about homily. Um, oh. Yeah, you know, um, uh, somebody, you know, taking, uh, you know, some, some, some of my friends saying that homily is so good because they have, they can just close their eyes and sleep for five minutes. Uh, and also <laughs> some of my friends saying, saying that they always looking forward to homily. Um, they always want to get something from the homily. So, and, and, and the, the problem is, in, in daily mass, 
some of the priests doesn't want to do homily and and they they, they do just skip it just sit there to i would say to meditate a little bit of the of the gospel yeah. of the readings so i would like to know what's the rules so why you know is it so important the homily uh uh do we so we always looking forward to the homily if sunday mass always have homily so tell me all this uh, you're right. There's a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> the homily is important. Absolutely. And in, in fact, if you look at um, the main purpose, if I can say that, or the main job of uh-huh. the ordained minister, the priests and the deacons is actually to proclaim the word. That is like number one. Um, definitely for deacons, it's proclaiming the word. Now you could argue that bringing the sacraments and doing charity work and listening to confessions that is still that is also proclaiming the word but we can't ignore the fact that literally proclaiming the word from the pulpit is is proclaiming the word so, so maybe that is, it's that my, is it maybe it's also my language problem as well when you talk about pro- proclaim the word proclaim is it like when we read out the gospel um, is also proclaiming that is that is part of it so yes you're right so as a deacon i read the gospel i don't say that i am reading the gospel i am proclaiming the gospel um it, it is it is meant to be read out out loud mm-hmm. to be heard yeah right um it is not meant to be read it is meant to be heard so mm-hmm. someone has to proclaim it I, I think the best image of a proclaimer is is john the baptist because he proclaims the good news. Mm. He's the herald of the good news. He announces. So I think a, to proclaim means to announce, to announce the good news. I think of a trumpet, like that's the instrument you're announcing, proclaiming, right? So, so as proclaiming the word, one of the ways that we do that is by preaching. So does and, it mean homily is not important if we already proclaiming the word? No, the homily, the homily is important. Um, so if you look at, um, I mean, even Vatican II, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, there are specific things about the homily. And of course, I don't have them memorized, um, but I know even um, Pope Benedict in Verbum De Domini writes um, about the homily and how the homily uh, it, it is meant to help the people um, understand the message in scripture so that they can make it make sense in their lives pope francis in evangelio gaudium evangelii gaudium talks about the homily i think that's when he first said that the homily should not be more than (laughs) minutes or something um but 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 i think he talks about how the homily is 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 the one place where the where the pastor or the preacher connects with the congregation um you know shows his closeness to the congregation um, and communicate to, to, to the people. So, so there's all of that. I mean, I don't know, I'm sort of kind of rambling here. Um, but I think that the purpose of the homily is to explain the, the readings. I mean, that's kind of the basic. So it, okay. the homily has to be scriptural based on the reading. So a lot of times people will say to me, you know, how come you never preach about, you know, abortion? It's like, well, because I, I have to preach on the readings right but at the same time the homily can't just cannot just be scriptural it Mm -hmm. has to be doctrinal so that means that it has to explain something about about the faith so Mm -hmm. so explaining what the church teaches about 
pro-life issues. It mm-hmm. could be part of a homily if it's kind of helping explain a reading. The homily also has to be pastoral. And I think that that's probably the more important part because people need to be able to take what the readings, what the church teaches, and then be able to apply it in their own lives. So a good homily is scriptural, it's doctrinal, it's pastoral. And then the last one, and this is the one that we often forget, is that it, that it has to be liturgical. So mm-hmm. the, the, it, the homily, there's a reason why the homily takes place at mass. It's not a speech. It's not a sermon that you're doing, you know, at the park, whenever, even, even at a prayer service. It's at mass. So there's a reason why it's at mass. So I think that the homily also is meant to prepare us for what's going to happen afterwards, namely the liturgy of the Eucharist. So I like to think always, like, what is the connection between what I just heard in the readings, what it means to be in my life, and how am I going to respond to it? in the liturgy of the Eucharist and re- by receiving communion. So um, this, it's essentially to, to, I would say, to, to relate the, the, the readings to the, to the Eucharist itself, um, right? y- y- Yes, that's the most obvious one, mm-hmm. but it can be any other aspect of Mass. Um, but absolutely, I tend, to, I tend to always make the connection with the Eucharist um, because that's our, our response. Mm-hmm. So I'll say something like, you know, today as we're, you know, reflecting on reconciliation, let, as you come to receive communion, uh, pray that blah, 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 so that at least they're making the connection. And that's probably the cheapest, easiest way to make a connection with the Eucharist. But a lot yeah. of times um, you might find that there's something in the readings that makes you think about you know, you're talking about how we should adore Christ or what does it mean to be, to, to worship? It's like, well, okay, what are you, what are we doing now? We're going to come up and the, the, the priest is going to raise the host. So how are we going to worship in that moment? So you can try to make connections. Sometimes the connection is with another part of the mass with the Gloria or with the Alleluia or with the being sent forth at the end of mass. So I think it, as long as we try to make the connection so that it's not just kind of some some random thing that it that, that does not belong at mass it belongs at mass okay so you know why weekday mass some priests just choose to sit there and meditate you know that's a very good question and i'm going to actually go and find out and see what the actual rules are i suspect that the rules are that that the homily is not necessary in in the weekday mass i mean there's nothing that says that the homily has to be uh, you know, eight minutes or 12 minutes or, or whatever. The homily could just be the priest saying one thing and then having you sit quietly and listen to it. And I think that that's a lot of priests will do that for the daily mass mm-hmm. just because they're con- concerned about time. And that's the easiest thing to, to cut out. I think it is appropriate, especially if you have a small uh, congregation, like at a daily mass, uh-huh. to, uh, to, to even sometimes invite people from the congregation to, to share something that maybe mm. they, they, you know, that they, they heard in their heart while they're listening to the readings. And I think that that's, I mean, you can think that that's the priest being lazy, but I think that's also a way to, to make that connection with the congregation to make them, you know, uh, feel like they're also participating in the liturgy. So I, I, I think that that's all good, but I'll have to find out uh, maybe next time when we get together, Billy, we can follow up and I'll find out if there's actually rules as to whether a homily is required or not, um, and especially at that daily mass. Amazing. You know, I will not sleep in homily, okay? Yes, no, you will not sleep if I'm the homilist. 
How's that? Okay. Thank you very much, Billy. That's a Thank very you, good question. Um, and we'll, we'll continue and uh, always look forward to hearing uh, your questions. And our listeners, you know you can uh, send your questions to Billy Chan. You can send your questions to him uh, and follow him at Chan. Coming up in our second half hour, the three languages of evangelization and dealing with depression with singer-songwriter Michael James Meddy. So stick around. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Have you ever tried to explain the faith to someone and it's like hitting your head against the wall? Some of us have spent years having conversations with the same person about the faith, and it's like you're speaking a different language. Well, author and evangelizer Patrick Sullivan argues that it's because we are speaking a different language. In his new book, The Three Languages of Evangelization, Sullivan explains exactly why our efforts to evangelize so often fall flat and tells us how to change that. And I am ashamed to say, that I wish that I had come up with this idea before Patrick because it is brilliant, but I didn't. So the least I can do is get him on the program. So I'm very happy to have Patrick Sullivan join us now. Patrick, it's good to see you. Welcome back. It's great seeing you, Deacon. Um, so so it, it is brilliant, but, but so tell us, so what are the, these three languages of evangel- evangelization? Well, these are words that everyone has heard many times over, but have not actually applied to their own lives. And in particular to evangelization, it's truth, goodness, and beauty. Right. And the way I like to get the people's heads around this is to imagine that you just got off of a plane into a very foreign land and you hear a cacophony of voices all around you mm-hmm. and your brain can't make sense of it. Mm-hmm. But then someone speaks your language. Mm-hmm. You cannot help but tune in. That's what we're talking about. When someone's been trying to evangelize you for years, speaking truth, for example, we can talk a little bit more about what that means, but you're not a speaker of truth. Your primary language is maybe beauty or goodness. You're going to tune out. There's a kind of a a fatigue that sets in. Right. But once we switch, let's say I'm a speaker of beauty. I actually am a speaker of beauty. Yeah. And I'm, I'm revealing a big secret about myself. If you use that language with me, you've got my attention. I cannot help but tune in. And this is what I want to show people in this book is that you can do this. You can actually switch languages and suddenly that person in your life who was just kind of being nice and polite and pretending to listen, quite frankly, is now captivated. And it's as simple as switching languages. So that, that's fascinating because, I mean, you spend your life, this is all you do is you evangelize. So right. like if you're, you, your instinct is to speak the language of beauty, like how often were you in a crowd and it's like... I guess a third of the crowd is just like completely lost. Well, that's exactly, that's how I started to pick up on this. Actually, I'd be giving these presentations to crowds and I would give an example of a starry night sky. Yeah. yeah, You know, have you ever looked up and saw the beauty there? And yeah, about a third of the crowd would nod, but the others (laughs) would think, well, I thought it was a great example. And what other times I would, I would give like, well, you know how St. Augustine once said, and I'd give this logical thought and others would be like, that's what I needed to hear. Yeah. 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 And time and time again, you do hundreds of presentations. You start to notice patterns. Mm 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started to test my own life, individual evangelization with extended family. And suddenly I was reaching people I never thought I'd be able to reach within 10 years or 20 years. It's fascinating. Fascinating. So, so you gave us the starry sky example. So that's a little bit of, of beauty. Can you give us another example? Maybe I, I think I'm a truth speaker. So, so I, I think so, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong and you can help me. Um, it, it's quite simple. This is one of the things I loved about writing the book was coming up with all these very practical ways to point out whether you are this yes, or that yes. people in your life, whether they are the truth speaker in your life is the one who loves, they just love going down the rabbit hole of thought. Yeah. They do not care if they're wrong in the end. This is a mistake we make. We think, uh, well, I have, I have a family member who just loves Target. That is no indication that they're a truth speaker. The truth speaker loves to go down the rabbit hole of thought just in case you have a gem of thought for them. I'll give uh, you a very quick example. Years ago, when I thought I knew everything, I was studying theology. And in particular, I was studying Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. And I put up my hand in this small seminar group, and I thought I had a serious objection to one of Thomas's thoughts. Yeah. And the professor said, well, I don't have time to explain this now. Can we meet for coffee? And I want to hear your objection. I thought, okay, well, I must be onto something here. <laughs> very young, very smart, sure. Well, we met up for coffee and he heard my objection and he easily dismissed it with rational thought. It was wonderful. Right. And I asked him, so you knew this wasn't really going anywhere. Why did you take the time to meet with me? And he said, because there was a chance. I said, a chance for what? He said that you might have that one little gem I want. That's you see, amazing. truth speakers want that. Yeah, and it yeah. doesn't matter the field of study either. If you have an interesting fact, something that's true, a gem, they mm. want it. If it's about the stars or the universe, or it doesn't right, matter. Right. They are in search for it and they love discovering it. Okay, so then so you, that's true. Yeah, Ethan, that's is that you? I think so. I was going to say, I think I'm a little bit of all three, but, and I guess you do go into the book as well, because you would have a primary one and then, you know, maybe a secondary, and maybe I guess the third one would still be That's in right. there somewhere. It can be in there at, at some point. So just quickly then goodness, since you already talked about beauty and truth. So goodness would be someone who's. Goodness is when the person you've seen this, they're just captivated, captivated by the good action. My daughter pulled me aside. He had a rainstorm. And I mentioned this in the book Yeah. where I, I would just want to get in the car. I'm, I'm cold. I'm frustrated. And she was pulling on my arm like a car accident just happened. Like something needs our attention now. And finally, I gave her the attention. She wanted, I said, what is it? And all she saw was a man giving her his coat to a woman in the rain. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. For her, that was like, stop everything. Yeah. God is at work. Yeah. And you know people like this in your life. Yeah. They're not giving you a gift because they want retribution. They want a tit for yeah, tat, yeah. as they say. All they want is there to be more goodness in the world. Mm -hmm. And when you tap into that and you speak that language to them, you've got them. Yeah. I, I've heard for years now, you get story after story. People saying, I switch languages. And then the conversation, which I could never get started, just wouldn't stop. Yeah, it's amazing. Tell me about how the church is good again. I want to hear more of that. Or tell me how the church has preserved the arts, right? Yeah. Beauty speakers. Yeah. I want to hear more about that. Uh, tell me about these great arguments. I've never come across these arguments. Years ago, I had a man come into my office. I used to. This is eons ago, working in a parish office. A man came in and he said, I want to be a Catholic like this. I said, a Catholic like what? He said, the smart kind. <laughs> <laughs> the smart kind. I said, I I." I have no idea where you're going with this. He said, well, I just found St. Augustine. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm in love. I want to be a Catholic now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And that's what we're talking about. If you can 
which if you can learn these little things, different imagery, different examples, show them what you're doing in your life, show them how the church fits that language perfectly because it speaks all three fluently, you really have a conversation. Yeah, it's amazing. So, so I think it's pretty clear how this can apply to me personally, mm-hmm. but can you say, is this something that can be applied, let's say at a parish level? Like how should Absolutely. a parish use this? Absolutely. I, I keep encouraging pastors, um, any evangelization teams, start creating three different mini groups, three different teams, one that speaks beauty well, perfectly, whatever it is. Now go and look for activities to grab the beauty speakers. Uh-huh. You're, you have a small group of goodness speakers. Good. You know how to speak the language to the goodness speakers. Do activities, do events that grab them there. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the truth speakers. Now we're focusing, we're honing in. Because here's, here's a sad truth. Our pastors, like all of us, yes. have one language that's primary. Absolutely. So guess what the direction is of the parish? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Speaker, we're doing catechesis. I'm going to explain the scriptures. And they do this all very well. But the goodness speaker is sitting there going, yeah, but what have we done for the poor lately? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. the beauty speaker is like, yeah, that's great. But look at our art. Yeah, I mean, exactly. On. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I'd say that even as a, as a preacher, as a homilist, I need to start thinking about, okay, how can I make sure that I have examples that's going to speak to all right. three groups in my homily so that every, because in my, in my case, it's always, it's the truth speakers that I was like, well, that was a great homily. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other ones, maybe yeah. not so much. <laughs> exactly. So now I know, I mean, exactly. this book, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. This is, this is great. Um, so the three languages of evangelization, you said, Patrick, or you told me earlier that it's, it's available uh, as an ebook right now, but the hard copy will be ready soon, correct? That, that's exactly it. So if you head over to Amazon right now, you can grab the ebook. The hardcovers will be joining it in a, a few short days, hopefully. And you're going to see and hear lots about it from our website and other places. So Excellent. Right. Okay, well, good. Thank you. Thank you so much for writing the book. I mean, this totally changed my summer completely. So thank you. Thank you, Wonderful. Patrick. Thank Sullivan. you. Patrick Sullivan, he's a Catholic lay evangelist. He's the founder of Evango, an organization that is dedicated to helping you build the kingdom of God. He's behind the Me and My House Parenting resource and the author of many books. His latest is The Three Languages of Evangelization. You can find out more at evango.net. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Michael James Meddy, with All Alone from his new album, Exile.
That was Michael James Meddy with All Alone from his album Exile. Last we spoke with Michael James Meddy, he had just purchased a mobile home and was setting out on tour with his whole family. Since then, he's incorporated his oldest children into his band called MJM7. They spent a lot of time traveling and were part of the youth festival at World Youth Day Panama in 2019. I actually had a chance to see them there. Michael has a new album that we've been listening to called Exile. The album was born out of a dark depression that Michael went through. And to tell us about it, I spoke with Michael James Meddy last week. Michael, it's good to see you. Welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Deacon. Excited it's, to be here. It's incredible that we you haven't been on the show since since 2015. And I know you and I saw each other in 2019 in Panama, and mm-hmm. we've we've uh, spoken since. Um, but I'm I'm uh, a little ashamed to say that I didn't know that you had been going through this difficult time, right? Especially last year. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. Well, I mean, uh, COVID, man, (laughs) a lot of stuff's happened in the last uh, year and a half, you know, and um, a lot of people are struggling with mental illness right now. I I read a study uh, about a year ago that 30 percent of Americans were on some kind of antidepressant or some kind of a a help for that. And, um, you know, I'm an artist Uh, and artists oftentimes struggle with depression, with mania, with all sorts of different things. And um, yeah, this year, it's been a real challenge dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression. Um, it got me to some really dark places. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember uh, Bono from U2, a couple of years ago, he was talking about um, Christian music. You know, a lot of Christian music tries to kind of copy U2. And, yeah. and he, they, somebody asked him, like, so what would you tell, you know, a Christian artist? And he's like, well... I want to hear about your bad marriage. I want to hear about when stuff is going bad. I want to hear about like when your family's falling apart. Like that's that's what people need to hear mm-hmm. so that they have hope. And so kind of as, as my own therapy or my own artistic expression, uh, I decided to start recording albums. And, you know, maybe for the first time in a long time, like just trying to really clear the faders and, and say like, what is the art? What is the message that's on my heart? And not trying to say, oh, I want to write this song that people might sing at mass or, you know, the album kind of needs another upbeat song. But just to say, like, what's in here and to really follow the muse wherever it leads. And uh, that's that's the product of this album, you know. Yeah. And that makes sense. I think that that's a good place for for all artists to to start. Um, Can I ask you and pardon me for I mean, maybe a little bit of ignorance about the whole topic of mental health. Um, because I've heard people say, and maybe they're right to a certain extent, that that a lot of the it, the struggles that people have been having over the last year and maybe even before, that it's really not a mental health crisis, that it's a spiritual crisis. But my sense is that someone like you is well grounded in your spiritual life, but you still suffer right. mental health. Right. And I mean, you described it as dark places. So can you tell... Sure. I, think, I think some of our listeners might 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 be going through a similar experience. Well, one of the things that I've realized with this experience uh, very profoundly is that our spiritual lives and our kind of mental health and psychological, there are, are ways that they are connected and there's overlap there, but they are definitely two separate things. Uh-huh. Um, last, last fall, actually, we read with my oldest daughters, The Discernment of Spirits and kind of a a how-to guide 
about learning about St. Ignatius yes, and, and really trying, you know, working through that process of discernment. And one of the things that they talked about, you know, with consolation and desolation in the spiritual sense, and he made very clear that's different than psychological depression right. or psychological, you know, excitement. And um, I can speak from personal experience. You know, I love Jesus. I've devoted my life to Christ and, and devoted our, our family's life and ministry to trying to spread the gospel. There are, are times when it was beyond my willpower. It was beyond my ability to, um, and I'm not saying this like my free will was always intact, but it was beyond just like making sacrifices and, you know, offering it up to God or something like that, where people oftentimes would say right. that mental illness is something that's very different than spiritual desolation. And would you say that, is it fair to say that the, 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 the crisis begins because of an event? Or is this something that can just happen to anybody at any given time? I mean, you, you, you pointed the fact that last year was difficult. Right. So is it fair to say that it, that was kind of the catalyst that sort well, of the, unraveled for you? I mean, definitely. I, I think a lot of people are experiencing that. When you have isolation, Mm -hmm. You have, um, you know, uh, not being able to be with family and friends like isolation breeds eccentricity, you know, and the devil uh, doesn't want the body of Christ to come together. That's the opposite. He wants, you know, yeah. um, the devil looks for a lone wolf that's by himself rather than the community, the pack. And, you know, if anything, last last year, that, that's exactly what we had. <laughs> we had extreme isolation. We had uh, lots of depression, lots of, you know, alcohol use was on with, you know, times 10 and all up and down the board. I think people, you know, when you're faced with those situations, you can get bitter or you can get better. You can turn to your faith uh, or you can turn to other things. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people maybe maybe got weary uh, of of turning to their faith and maybe started to turn to other things that, that are not the path to holiness. Yeah. And, and, and if I understand what you're saying is that you do need both. So your faith, your spirituality will ground you, but if, but sometimes you do need uh, medical help. And, that is and, correct. And that, that's important too. And in your case, because you're an artist, you're able to also use your art to help you, um, if I can say, as therapy. And so out of that came this album that I must say, uh, as a concept album, I very much enjoyed. There was something about, it, it actually reminded me a, a lot about the Beatles. There's something about about the, the style of, of storytelling or writing of some of the, 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 the older Beatles stuff. Um, and you've titled the album Exile. Does that word exile kind of summarize the experience that you were going through feeling? Oh, oh definitely. Definitely. I mean, that's, that's very intentional uh, where it felt like it felt like where I was maybe in the promised land um, with a lot of our life, with our touring, with our family, our ministry, that suddenly all of that was was taken away. And if you look in the Old Testament, God uses those times of exile, the Babylonian exile, to kind of wake people up and to show them what they had before. And, and you know, the prophets rise up and then lead them back to the purity of worship, the purity of, of love of God. And so um, it's my hope that not only myself personally, you know, in going through this, that this would be a path to get back to that place where I feel the consolations of God, but maybe also to reach out to other people, you know, and um, I think that there's a lot of people in the church that might be struggling with mental health right now. I saw a statistic uh, the other day that um, Catholics compared to other Christians 
are 60% less likely, 60% less likely to seek therapy, to seek help. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, Sanctuary Mental Health. That was a, an organization that was just designed around the church and mental health. And, and they actually have a Catholic section of it. It's been really helpful for me. Yes. Um, I was able to find a therapist that I've been meeting with every week. He's actually a Catholic priest and a doctor. And so he really understands both and has been able to help me navigate mm-hmm. a lot of that. Because I think there is a huge stigma, not only with mental health, but also as Christians and Catholics to say, you know, like, well, we're just not praying hard enough or, right. you know, the devil made me do it or, you know, it's just all this guilt and shame. And so yeah. uh, those it's treacherous waters to be able to navigate through. And it's so helpful to have somebody that can really has been there before that can lead you up that mountain. Yes. Um, and yes, I'm a, I'm a sanctuary. We actually featured that program on, in this show last year. They do oh, wow. really good work. Um, I'm glad that, that they're helping you. Um, um, I have been helping you. So in the little time that we have left, it's a concept album. Uh, is it fair to say that it kind of sort of follows the journey through the darkness and through the transformation? Can I call it that? Onto, I mean, it's a Yeah, I would album. say one of the other threads that I had running through my head was the journey that Jesus took from the Garden of Gethsemane okay. through, uh, you know, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then ending with the Alleluia. So um, yeah. it can feel like everything is lost, that we're all alone, but then um, Christ makes all things new uh, with Easter Sunday and the resurrection. Right. Is it your hope that the album will help people go through that, uh, heal through that journey? Um, like, what is your hope of how this music can be used f- to help people right. who are struggling with this? I think that there are a lot of people, especially in the Catholic Church, um, that are really struggling um, with maybe, you know, burdens that they think have to be private. And, um, you know, my hope is that somebody might listen to this and say, at least there's somebody else that's that's going through this, that's gone through this. And, um, and that Christ alone is going to be our strength and that Christ alone will be our hope and that there is hope. There is uh, a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. And I think that that's very clear with the way the, the, uh, the album ends. Um, and I think, is it fair to say that people should sit and listen to the whole thing beginning to end? I, I would love for people to sit and listen beginning the end. Yeah, the, the last song, Alleluia, uh, was kind of a homage to one of my favorite songs of all time, Good Vibrations yes. by the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can maybe listen to it with that lens. Yeah, well, that's good. Okay, Michael, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. Um, uh, I hope that uh, that this album brings a lot of uh, hope and healing to, to, to the listeners. And if anybody uh, is listening and they're struggling with mental health issues, Michael did mention Sanctuary. That's a, it's a great program where they can seek help. Their website is sanctuarymentalhealth.org. So, Michael, um, people can find out more information at your website, mjm7.band. So let's uh, end, Michael, with that song, Alleluia, from your album, Exile. Thank you so much. Straining to believe Nothing satisfies It's a new day It's a new day It's so hard to 
Listening to Michael James Meddy with Alleluia from his new album Exile. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that if you missed any part of our show today, you can head over to slmedia.org slash podcast. And you can also find the Salt and Light Hour Catholic Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for Deacon Pedro. You can also email me, pedro at slmedia.org. Next week, we'll be meeting Canadian husband and wife singing team Kathleen and Jesse LeBlanc. They sing under the name We Are Found Together. And so you'll find them together on our show next week, and you're going to love their music. I hope that you can join us. Remember to stay safe, continue praying for each other, pray for reconciliation, and take care of each other. I'm Deacon Pedro. Thank you for being with us for this week's episode of the Salt and Light Hour. <laughs>